Hi, welcome to the CMO Insight Series podcast. I am your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Today, as a return guest, we have my good friend, Rand Fishkin, who is CEO of Spark Toro and also known as the Wizard of Moz. Rand, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Jeff. Good to be here. Absolutely. It's good to have you. Well, you've been a very busy man since we spoke last a few years ago. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Starting a new company, touring the world, you know, delighting audiences. Uh, what's What's been hot for you over the last six months? What have you been working on? Yeah, let's see. So uh, I obviously, you know, I think the last time we spoke, I had left Moz uh, and started the process of getting SparkToro off the ground, but but hadn't launched the product yet. And we ended up launching in April of 2020, which awesome time to launch a new company. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone was uh, just paying attention only to new marketing software at the time. There's nothing else going on. They, they, so they were congratulating you on your prowess, uh, marketing genius. Like, let's launch a company right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. 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 But uh, so we we had raised a little bit of money. We did not go the venture route for SparkToro. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm hoping that we can sort of build a model for other entrepreneurs to follow that is uh, an alternative to raising venture. So we, we raised money, $1.3 million from um, a lot of independent, you know, uh, angel investors, entrepreneurs, a lot of agency owners, actually, uh, like yourself. And they were folks who basically said, wow, this idea for SparkToro is really fascinating. I want to see that in the world. Um, but they did not want the high risk and neither did we of the venture model, which is sort of like, you know, one in a thousand companies truly succeeds with that model. So SparkToro launched in, in 2020 and got to profitability uh, only about six months later. So we've been profitable for uh, almost two years now and we are growing, I think more slowly than a venture backed company would. So, you know, I think this year is going to be around 50% year over year growth, which is still, you know, fantastic for an early stage company. Um, we're very happy about that, but it's not, you know, we're not going to hit the the venture metrics. Uh, the team is tiny. There's only three of us, just myself, Amanda and Casey. And we have a very, you know, we sort of developed Jeff, this very unique approach to work. So you mentioned that I, I've been very busy. I have been, that's absolutely true, but we try and do this thing called chill work where we, yeah, we, we try and give ourselves no more than 25 to 30 hours of things that we need to accomplish in any given week. Sometimes, yes, absolutely. We'll work a full 40 or even more, you know, 50 hours, whatever, but we, we try and keep it, um, very manageable, uh, and in balance. Kate, you know, Casey is sort of full-time caregiver for his, uh, two kids, uh, Amanda's got a son and they need, you know, more time to do the things that they need to do. And, and we're very hands-off. We have very few meetings. We have this light management style. Um, it's kind of a beautiful way to build a business. And yeah, we, we do, <laughs> we do a lot of things, you know, we're putting together this event called Spark Together, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. We're, um, launching new features in the product We're we're constantly doing marketing for it, but Awesome. I know a lot of the people are trying to figure that out. There's a, you know, a lot of studies in Europe now. Companies are experimenting with a four-day work week. Yes. Um, and Microsoft did this. Just, by the four-day work week, not like com combining 40 hours into four days. It's just a 32-hour because yeah. 
the the uh, well, the working model, and I believe this to be true, with all the technology advances we have, we're so much more productive in a typical 40-hour work week than we were with our parents and that generation. So with reality, we probably are doing twice as much or three times as work. But we're also busier than ever before. Like the, the, Our kids have activities, and we're spread yeah. out more, and we don't have the nucleus family anymore. So you're running back and forth, back and forth, and we're, we're doing more and more. So it... it, it uh, it's be interesting to see how it how it plays out. I think I know a lot of people are watching that with interest. Yeah, I, so I am. Look, I think there's you know there's different kinds of work that that folks do, and I want to be respectful and aware of that. My sense is that in uh, knowledge based industries where it's really about your creativity and your ability to bring kind of your full best. Uh, intelligence to bear on on difficult problems. Uh, you tend to do that best when you have lots of rest, right? Lots of actual sleep, mm-hmm. um, when you're getting good exercise and getting some sunlight every day and um, eating well and and living a, a relatively happy, stress-free life. And when you are not doing those things, uh, your performance at work tends to suffer. And so what we're trying to optimize for is the same thing most businesses are trying to optimize for, which is everybody doing their best work. We just believe in the science of, hey, let's do that in the most efficient way rather than maximizing people's hours and trying to burn them out quickly. Uh, and that was, you know, I think that was a hard one lesson from my my last company where I myself burned out. I think we talked about it last time we chatted, right, that I had developed depression and and you know, stepped down as CEO uh, during that, and the company kind of went off the rails thereafter. So uh, trying to prevent that from happening again, give give ourselves right that um, look, I want to look at Spark Toro not as how do I make the most money possible in three or four years and, you know, burn out doing it and, and push a ton of people to, you know, whatever, build a billion dollar company, but rather, I want this business to be around for decades. I want to be happy and excited to go to work every day with it. How do I build something that's comfortable, that is accessible, that you know works for folks um, long term? And I, I don't know. It's a it, you know it's a very 20th century mindset uh, trying to do something that I think the companies our parents and our grandparents worked for did. Yeah, and I think it's it's about giving ourselves grace. Yes, uh, you, you know it's it's. Um... Let's face it, we live in a very intense time. And very intense. Yeah, you know, I know people get concerned with the political discourse, regardless of which aisle you're on. And you know, I'm a big history buff and and I and I like reading some of the old newspapers from our elections back in the eighteen hundreds. And what's yeah. interesting is if you think that we're nasty now, <laughs> some of the stuff that people did back then were wow, you know, like and then the the words they used to describe people. I think the difference was wasn't in your face 24-7. There was no television. Yeah. You got your newspaper once a day. There was no social media. Uh, most of the people you saw, sure, were in your town, you know, but but we don't have the echo chambers and the constant 24-7 in your face. I think there's such an amplification now. So bringing that back to marketing, though, right, too, like it's it's how do we be at our best when everything's constantly being aimed at us and we're trying to reach our audience through these different channels where they're also competing with the noise? Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing, one thing that's very interesting about the time that we live in is the um, 
sort of this this loss of gatekeepers, which in, in a lot of ways I, I assumed for especially the first you know 10, 15 years of my career and my time online, I thought that was a great thing. I thought it was wonderful that the you know editors at the New York Times or the Washington Post weren't deciding what everyone in the world saw what, or what everyone in the United States saw. I thought it was very cool that we could all create and if we did interesting things and useful things, valuable things, that we could amplify those and spread those. What what I think we've learned is that just like anything else uh, in life, that has positives and negatives, mm -hmm. right? So the positive is something great that was created by someone with no, you know, no following uh, can reach massive audiences. So that opportunity is fantastic. I love that about the internet. I love the democratization of information flow. The downside of that is many of the things that are most engaging to people online are deeply problematic, right? Mm -hmm. Misinformation and disinformation, um, you know, conspiracies, uh, different kinds of hatred, uh, all of that stuff is is awful and it, and it sucks. It sucks that it's effective in reaching people and getting well, them Because we, we drown it out otherwise. Yeah. Right? I mean, think about whatever it is, horror movies, you know, whether you're a fan or not. Now, yeah. Growing up with um, Alvin, Al, uh, Hitchcock and some of those other early artists, a lot of the terror was in the drama and the storytelling and the framing. But over the years, that wasn't as gratifying to people as they needed more gore, more violence. It had to be bloodier. It had to be more yeah. violent. And, and same thing with our video games, right? So the more intense it is, captures our attention. And if it, it, so the story in of itself, even if it's pure, if it doesn't have the dramatization around it, then people lose interest because because we we have conditioned people to want more. Yeah, and I so my suspicion is, I think this is a really interesting thing, right? That um, in many of these genres and in many of these arenas, what you see is a an eventual backlash, right? An eventual kind of ooh, what do I want to call it? people get tired of the same thing again and again, right? If you've seen it before, uh, you know, uh, the Marvel movies, you know, five years ago, six years ago, everyone that came out, people were like, oh my God, we have to see. Now it's kind of like, gosh, have you seen the latest Marvel? I don't even know what it is. Like <laughs> there's so many, it's just, you know, all right, we, we need something new, right? New genres got to come along and sort of shake us out of this, you know, malaise. Yeah, what was that movie popular. a few years ago that Jim Carrey was in where he lived in the bubble in the town? You know, oh yes, uh, the Truman Show. The Truman Show, and then so it reaches its denouement, right? And then he he escapes out of the town, and everyone was sad. And after five minutes, yeah, okay, someone else is on. Well, let's turn the channel. Like, what else are we gonna watch? Yeah, it consumed yeah. them for years until it didn't. It, 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 exactly. It, it, exactly. It, so I think that you know, I think that um, short term, I have lots of fear and concern. Right? You can see whatever political violence ramping up, you can see sort of a return to, you know, the appeal of fascism um, and authoritarianism. And, and my hope is that in the long run, that's something that humanity turns away from again. Um, but in the short run, yeah, it's, it's, it's concerning. Bringing this to marketing, what I think we have to recognize uh, as marketers, and and you know this is something that we try and do at SparkToro very much, is studying what works and what doesn't in certain fields 
with what works and doesn't with certain audiences, what works and doesn't with particular algorithms on different networks, um, and then being able to react and respond rather than just, you know, sort of having a script that you follow. I don't, I don't think that works in marketing. I don't think it works in creative fields like filmmaking. I don't even think it works in politics and news. Um, you know, and, and what's interesting to me, right? Yeah. Everyone says they want authenticity from, from uh, businesses. Yeah. Well, be authentic in your content, be authentic and transparent, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the customer or the reader is always authentic either. Like, so if you look at, let's bring it back to politics for a second, right? So now the studies are this blatant voter bias where people are not being honest with how they're going to vote. So the pollsters right, sure. have been off by wider degrees over the last eight to 12 years because people are not actually telling them you know, they're, they're telling them what they think they want to hear and not what they are actually going to do. And I think it's the same thing with whether it's content or campaigns uh, or even in a sales cycle, right? I mean, there's that phrase, yeah. buyers or liars. Are you the decision maker? Yes, I am. You know, what's your time frame? 30 days. Do you have budget? Yes, I have budget, right? But then beyond that, are people really truly being honest? Because, you know, if, you, if you're just trying to get to the content, you're going to say whatever you want to say just to get whatever it is that you want to read and then you can determine whether or not it, whether it's valuable but in the meantime how how much value or stock is the company putting in to the respondents information hmm. oh this person's right in segment they answer like these questions they fit my icp yeah. right until they don't you know so it's it's i think it's interesting yeah there's um so we 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 had a fascinating experience with this at SparkToro, you know, in the in the first 18 months of the company's life, Casey was sort of building the product and I was just doing kind of customer pre-customer interviews and um and a lot of marketing too, right? Kind of building our audience. But what I found, what both of us found was that very often if I got on a video call with someone like yourself, right? So I'd be like, "Oh, Jeff, hey, how do you solve this particular problem? And you know, how does this sort of solution that SparkToro is talking about sound to you? We just find that the um, the first part of that worked really well. So if I asked you, hey, Jeff, how do you currently, how do you and the Pedowitz group currently go about finding sources of influence uh, to reach out to and doing your ad targeting and your campaign targeting and you know, uh, figuring out where your customers are or where your, your clients' customers are, Lots of great answers would come back. But if I said, does this solution that we're building sound good to you? Or what what would you want in a solution like that? Those answers were not good, right? They tended to be very much um, trying to please the interviewer rather than giving a, a full and honest reaction. And I, I think that's, it's kind of great, right? Like it's a good thing. You want human beings to want to be liked by other human beings. And that's what happens. And so those conversations um, happen. A as a result, I think it's truly important for product leaders to ask those first kinds of questions. How are you doing this today? Uh, what made you choose the solutions that you have? Those kinds of things, but not over-focusing on what do you think of our solution? You're not going to get great answers to that. Well, I mean, isn't any true product innovation, you know, whether it's a, the snap up lid on your toothpaste uh, or the, the the iPhone, the smartphone? I mean, before it came out, we all had our Blackberries and our pagers, and we were more than happy. You know, some of us were very addicted to Blackberry. They were our Crackberries, right? How do you know you want something before it comes out? 
you know, sometimes it's it, it's a little bit, you have to have an innovative idea and, and just see a potential gap and then show people what they're missing. Yeah, I think uh, other, job, otherwise you're basing your own purchases based upon your pre-existing biases. Yep. I, I think I think the real job of product and marketing leaders is to ask the right kinds of questions that get at the problem, but not trying to validate the solution through that. I think the way to validate solutions is to set up those landing pages, set up those ads, set up those you know social media posts. Uh, set up that that content and see if it resonates in the right kinds of ways. So it's a scary you. thing, right? Launching a new company, scary, scary thing, trying to build a new product. When we launched SparkToro, we were scared out of our minds that it was not going to work and we were going to have to call our investors and be like, sorry, <laughs> that didn't go so well. Um, but yeah, I mean, thank thank goodness, you know, it ended up building a real business and, and something that we're uh, pretty sure is is going to be able to last decades. And it's awesome, and and I'm not surprised you're having success you're having, and I, you know I I think being a marketer today is both on honor of Halloween. It's both very scary, uh, but it's it's also uh, it's uh, very exciting too, you know. Yeah. I, I I mean I think more than ever before, I love this field more than ever, but I'm also just as frustrated and overwhelmed by it than than I ever was before because it the game keeps changing, and, yeah. and uh, more channels. Customers become more sophisticated, competitors get savvier, and it's not like you can just sit back and rest because someone's always coming. You know? Yeah. And, and if they weren't, Google's can just going to keep rewriting the algorithm anyway every other day. Just keep all of us on our toes. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm very interested in this in this sort of idea that more channels are available to us. I think that I think that's a big trend that very few businesses take advantage of. Right. It's sort of like, well, I've heard of Google and Facebook and maybe Amazon if I'm in e-commerce. So I'm just going to throw all my dollars and all my efforts in those. And I think that's actually a big mistake. Um, my, you know, my experience has been so this is this is personal, you know, anecdote, but I think can can be backed with data, too, which is SparkToro does almost no SEO. Right. Like we don't rank for anything except our brand name. Uh, we don't do all that much content marketing. We do a little bit, you know, we have a monthly webinar, we put up a blog post every few weeks, but it is nothing like what I was doing at Moz uh, to nowhere near that degree. So we're following this very different playbook where essentially what we do is go find sources of influence like your, you know, podcast and platform Jeff. And we we try to be present in those places where we know our customers and our audience pay attention and then we provide value right we try and be you know interesting guests and we try and talk about things that are useful and prepare presentations and you know um deliver value deliver value that deserves and earns amplification deserves and earns attention and that finding our audience through their sources of influence, which is not just people Googling for things, um, people going to you know Facebook or Instagram, uh, people just on Twitter or LinkedIn, although those are those are good channels for us. This has turned into uh, a an incredible marketing engine, right? We have hundreds of people signing up for a free account every day on SparkToro and, and, you know, a dozen, half a dozen to a dozen people signing up for 
paid accounts. It, it's it's going quite well, and I think that that process of marketing through your audience's sources of influence, it's just it's not talked about. Like it doesn't even have a name, right? People don't describe that. Which channels are you investing in? Well, we're in SEO and PPC and content, email, performance marketing. What about marketing through your customer sources of influence? What's that? I don't know what, who does that? <laughs> it's a, it's a you know, problem. We have, like, uh, yeah. So we're down here in Atlanta, right? And, and yeah. um, for years coming from New York, couldn't get good deli, couldn't get good bagels, you know? And so there's this little hole in the wall place called Bronx Bagels. It's a, okay. like an old 50 style trailer. And uh, we discovered it about 12 years ago. That the better bagels than we could even get in, in up in New York. Now, as far as I know, I've never seen an advertisement from them at all. Every year, week by week, it is crowded. Like Sunday, so much so that cars are parked up and down the highway because you can't get into their parking lot, you know, and it's just like this little home wall. The same people are still there. Um, the food is amazing. It's a joint. They don't do any marketing, but it's authentic. And how? Well, the word gets out. You want to get your bagels and you go there. Yeah. And I'm, I was thinking about that. I don't know, maybe I'm hungry at a late lunch, but I was thinking about when you're talking about influencer marketing, audience marketing. I think it, it does work in business too, because we often don't tap into the very people that value what we do the most, which is our yeah. customers. And, and really at the end of the day, who who do our potential customers really want to hear from? Not from us, right? <laughs> they want they want to speak to our other customers because they'll tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. I I you know where this uh, comes back to for me is this new not new but relatively recent and rising trend over the last four years of people searching for products and then adding Reddit to the end of their query, right? Because what they want is to see what other people other real people, not, you know, whatever the marketing team at yep. the, the direct to consumer brand that they're being targeted by have to say about the product. And so you see tons of people saying, you know, whatever, best hiking boots, Reddit, best DSLR camera, Reddit, uh, you know, oh, I'm looking for interior decorators, Reddit, <laughs> all, all this stuff in order to get sort of crowdsource wisdom from real people. I think you see this too when when folks talk about how um, there's more uh, activity on TikTok and Instagram for which restaurants to, should people go to, as opposed to the classic sort of whatever TripAdvisor, Yelp, Google Maps model. Uh, they're looking for that authentic data to back up, you know, uh, to validate where they should go and what they should do. I think this is. Um, a trend that is going to continue for a long time. I think it's going to spread out in terms of networks. It won't just be, you know, Reddit or TikTok or Instagram or those kinds of places. Um, and personally, I'm kind of I'm excited for that uh, that style of marketing because I think that has much greater value to both consumers and to businesses, the right ones, right, the ones who are building great product. Yeah, and I, and well, the, the power from one person spreading good word. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, versus you're spending so many other dollars on the hard cost to acquire, get someone to come in. And, and uh, one of the, one of the toughest and most frustrating things for sure as a marketer is when the problem is not the marketing, when the problem is the product, 
right? And, and I think that excluding marketing from your product development and iteration and improvement process is just a recipe for disaster. Uh, you have to, you have to be thinking about that, right? So in, in the example, like if I want to compete with Bronx bagel, making a good bagel is probably not enough. Like it's not going to get me over yep. the hump because Bronx bagel has built up this massive audience of people. They, they know, you know, all over the Atlanta area that that's the place to go. That's where that line of cars is. Right. And making a bagel, that's just as good. I'm not sure that's going to get people going to your spot, right? You're going to have to do something else. And this so I guess, I guess you could say your marketing strategy would be uh, full of holes then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you want is a well-rounded marketing strategy. Yes. Right? Well-rounded. Absolutely. <laughs> Seasons, a fully baked you know? marketing strategy. Yes. And everything marketing strategy and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, right, the, the way I would think about this, and this is this is the fundamental problem. I talk to a lot of business owners, even marketers, right, uh, CMOs, who look at competitors and say, well, if they're doing this, why can't I just do it a little better and succeed? And that's that's not the way. It's That's not enough, right? You need that innovation. You need to do something uh, quite different to earn attention. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation, right, around that that fatigue and 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 also brand familiarity and trust. If you want to be a breakout um, and get that attention, you're going to have to do something different than Bronx Bagel did. I think that probably involves both the product and the marketing and bringing those two together and saying, well, how did people how do how are people learning about new places today? When folks in Atlanta go to new restaurants, when they like swarm a place, why is that? What happened there? Oh. It turns out it was media coverage that did it, or they got into these niche publications, or they got a bunch of people from Instagram and TikTok to come early on and, you know, film and video and photograph that maybe. Or what it's we like need... those nightclubs that we never got invited to that all the cool people are going to. And you're wondering, like, I think no, there, there was even a club there. <laughs> and so, and fascinatingly, right, a bunch of those clubs were paying people to stand out front. Right, they're paying people to stand in line to make it look like what you know manipulative tactic, but but potentially effective. I, I would think about right if I were making you know Jeff and Rand's bagels in Atlanta. I think we should consider how do we make our shop, our bagels, our spreads more photogenic, more video friendly than mm. Bronx bagels, right? So that when someone takes a picture of that bagel, when they photograph themselves or, or video themselves, when they come into the store, maybe it's the lighting and decor, maybe it's the wall colors and the backgrounds, maybe it's the, um, you know, the egg wash on the bagel itself after it bakes that like gives it that perfect shine and texture. And, and maybe it doesn't add hopefully all that it tastes much. Good. Hopefully it tastes good too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like the product has to be fundamentally good. Yes. But that's not enough. Right. You have to then also say, how does my audience learn about new things? How am I going to break into those? And yeah, this is where I see a ton of startups. They'll come, you know, they'll come to me with a great pitch, like a great product pitch. And I'm like, okay, but how are you going to get that in the hands of the people who care about what you do? Why are they going to pay attention to you? Why are they going to amplify you? How are you going to get those initial amplifiers? That's that's the real difficulty. Well said. Uh, we are out of time. Great, great episode. As always, we're going to have to come back.